welcome to the Becoming Witchy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly of Bramble and Brimstone. Join me as we discuss practical witchcraft, share witchy tips, aha moments, tools, and resources that have helped us on our way, and as we discuss how magic shows up in our everyday. This podcast is here to encourage and support you on your own witchy way. Welcome to episode 11 of the Becoming Witchy podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Our main topic today is the spring equinox, or the vernal equinox, also called Ostara. I love the equinoxes. They start off my two favorite seasons, autumn and spring, and they're a time of so much potential and balance and excitement. And I've also been thinking that it's been a while since we've talked about the archetype of the witch, so I'm going to take some time to amuse about that today, too. But before we get into all that, let's check in on our seasonal corner. It's March, the first month of spring. Now, the spring equinox isn't until March 20th, and I'm recording this on March 1st, so the season hasn't really fully arrived yet, but plants are popping up everywhere. Our first dwarf irises are adding beautiful bursts of purple to the garden, and daffodils and hyacinths are almost up too. Hyacinths smell so good, and that is really a fun thing to do in the different seasons is notice how different it smells outside. Spring always smells like flowers and wet dirt, and I just love it. Ghost Poppy actually has um, an amazing scent for this time of year that really captures the spring essence of like wonderful, lush, floral garden smell. Our garden is really getting going, and we have arugula and Brussels sprouts coming up in our beds under row covers right now, and we've started most of our spring seeds, so they'll have a nice strong start before we plant them out. And I just want to say right now that I often talk about my garden like it's a mini farm or something, or like an actual farm, but it's just a really small yard that we plant up with as much as possible. So around this time of year, my husband and I also like to start watching Gardener's World, which starts this month, actually, usually right around or on the spring equinox. It's a British gardening show currently hosted by Monty Don. He offers up lots of plant and seasonal knowledge, and it's just a fun and kind of nerdy way to get excited for the season. And it's really informative about seasonal cycles and seasonal changes because he takes you through the changes and evolutions in his own garden from the spring equinox all the way through October. And he talks a lot about how good gardening and growing in nature is for your mental health and for your well-being. So this month of March is really when things start to pick up in the garden and we start getting really excited. All right, let's talk about the witch. I've talked about how the witch is really elusive and hard to identify because they hold so many contradictions and long-held biases, so many multitudes of just magical wonder, but also a history of oppression and fear. And people will ask me, you know, what do you mean you're a witch? What does that mean? What is a witch? And I don't know how to answer because it's so complex. There are some things that 
if someone says, oh, I'm this thing, like, uh, like I'm an artist, we all might have a concept of what that is, almost like a universal understanding around what that means. But so many people have different definitions of a witch or different internal biases about a witch. There is something so mysterious and almost unknowable. One of my favorite musings of a witch comes from Pam Grossman's Waking the Witch, which is a book I absolutely love and cannot recommend more. It's a modern feminist anthropological look at the archetype of the witch through time. References pop culture and historical events, and it's just such an interesting read. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from it, but I could read... She has so much in this book that's so good, so we'll definitely come back to it, but I'm just going to read you um, one part right now. The witch is a notorious shapeshifter, and she comes in many guises. A hag in a pointy hat, cackling madly as she boils a pot of bones. A scarlet-lipped seductress, slipping a potion into the drink of her unsuspecting paramour. A cross-dressing French revolutionary who hears the voices of angels and saints. A perfectly coiffed suburban housewife, twitching her nose to change her circumstances at will, despite her husband's protests. A woman dancing in New York City's Central Park with her coven to mark the change of the seasons or a lunar phase. The witch has a green face and a fleet of flying monkeys. She wears scarves and leather and lace. She lives in Africa, on the island of Aia, in a tower, in a chicken-leg hut, in Peoria, Illinois. She lurks in forests of fairy tales, in the gilded frames of paintings, in the plot lines of sitcoms and YA novels, in between the bars of ghostly blue songs. She is solitary. She comes in threes. She's a member of a coven. She's sometimes a he. She is stunning. She is hideous. She is insidious. She is ubiquitous. She is our downfall. She is our deliverance. Our witch says as much about us as they do about anything else, for better and for worse. More than anything, though, the witch is a shining and shadowy symbol of female power and a force for subverting the status quo. No matter what form she takes, she remains an electric source of magical agitation that we can all plug into whenever we need a high-voltage charge. She is also a vessel that contains our conflicting feelings about female power. Our fear of it, our desire for it, and our hope that it can and will grow stronger, despite the flames that are thrown at it. Whether the witch is depicted as villainous or valorous, she is always a figure of freedom, both its loss and its gain. She is perhaps the only female archetype who is an independent operator. Virgins, whores, daughters, mothers, wives, each of these is defined by whom she's sleeping with or not, the care that she is giving or that is given to her or some sort of symbiotic debt that she must eventually pay. The witch owes nothing. This is what makes her dangerous, and that is what makes her divine. So I just love that so much. This sums up so much of the complicated surroundings of the witch. For me, the witch is an activist, a feminist icon, a free being, a magical being, someone who dwells in between the worlds, someone who conjures change. But for now, I'm going to leave you with uh, Pam's words and we'll return to the witch archetype in other episodes to try to lift the veil a little bit more. 
spring holds so much magic. It's a time of balance, growth, and renewal. The vernal equinox usually falls on March 20th or 21st, and this year it falls on March 20th. And like the solstices, the equinoxes are holidays that center on a celestial event. Equinox literally means equal night, a time when the hours of daylight are equal to the hours of night. The sun is going to look like it's rising directly in the east and setting directly in the west. And because of this, there are many monuments built to align with the sunlight on this day. We don't have time to talk about all of them, so I'll just share a few um, of the ancient sites that were designed to interact with sunlight on the equinoxes. There's Angkor Wat in Cambodia. The sun appears to sit on top of one of the building's central towers. And the site is very beautiful, and people gather near the temple every year to watch the sun hit this, this mark. In Mexico, the Maya built a pyramid at Chichen Itza, which on the equinoxes, the setting sun creates shadows that make it look like a snake is moving down the steps. At Machu Picchu in Peru, the shadow of a large stone disappears at noon on the equinox, when the sun is directly overhead. And almost all of these, you can find uh, video recordings of them and sort of watch it happen. And it's really amazing. During the spring equinox in the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere will be experiencing the autumnal equinox, or the first day of fall, which is also a time of balance where we have this equal day and night, but the energy of this time is moving towards slowness, moving towards longer nights and shorter days. Autumn is an amazing time, and the autumn equinox, also called Mabin, is one of my favorite holidays, but since I'm in the northern hemisphere, We'll wait until September to talk about that holiday. The spring equinox is often referred to as Ostara in the Wiccan and Celtic pagan traditions. And many of these modern festivals that celebrate the Wheel of the Year were reinvented and made popular by Wicca and Gerald Gardner, who founded Wicca in the 1950s. Ostara is thought to reference the goddess Ostara, Spelled So Ostara is spelled O-S-T-A-R-A. Ostara is spelled E-O-S-T-E-R-A. I think there's variations on the spelling and pronunciation, but that's how I'm doing it for this episode. <laughs> there isn't a whole lot of evidence that supports this association um, of Ostara and Ostara being connected. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not true, Right. When we think about the archaeological record, it's piecemeal, and very little evidence actually survives, especially in text. Ostra is thought to be an Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility, and there are some accounts of a celebration to her before the Christian holiday of Easter came about. Easter may have even evolved from her name. Easter is also, I think the only Christian holiday that is based on the lunar cycle, its date moves each year and is determined as the first Sunday following the full moon on or after the vernal equinox. So I think that these associations are really interesting and the fact that they persist today is a testament to the ancient and historical importance of spring and the celebrations that occurred around this time. There are a few myths and many goddesses other than Ostra that are related to spring and the spring equinox. 
One of the most well-known myths might be the Greek myth of Persephone and Demeter. Persephone, a goddess of springtime, who's kidnapped by Hades, the god of the dead, and taken into the underworld where she eats, um, I think, six pomegranate seeds, which means that she can't leave and return to the earth. Her mother Demeter, who is a goddess of the earth, growth, bounty, and nature, is so angry that she creates a barren land where nothing can grow, also known as winter. So Zeus works out a deal that Persephone can return to the earth every spring so that Demeter will restore the land and life that grows there. There's also the Roman goddess Flora, goddess of flowers, which is very spring-themed. She had her own festival, Floralia. Freya, in Norse mythology, would leave every winter and return in the spring on her chariot pulled by cats. So the theme of goddesses and of fertility and nature leaving the land in the winter and returning again in the spring is something that we see in many myths to explain the change of seasons. So one of the best parts about the spring equinox, I think at least, is that there's more daylight. You can feel your body start to respond to the growing light, especially at this time of year coming out of the dark, cold winter months. I know that I'm always so much more awake and less tired overall when the sun is out longer. During spring, growth and renewal are themes that often come up, just like the plants that are waking up around us. We also think about cleansing, awakening, and quickening. But with day and night at equal length on this day, balance is a huge theme of this time and one that's unique to the equinoxes. I think a lot of times we think about balance as a passive act, but spring is a season of action and awakening. We need to remember that balance can be difficult. It takes strength and focus. If you think about anything that requires physical balance, like standing on one foot, doing yoga, they also require strength and focus. The themes of this time encourage us to be strong and balanced so that we can take the next steps into the season dominated by the sun, the seasons of action. The tarot card of this year, of 2023, that we talked about in the New Year's episode, The Chariot, also really supports this message of balanced action. Let's talk about ways to celebrate. If you like cooking or baking and want to make a special meal or treat, that's a great way to celebrate the season. Eggs and dairy are very much intertwined with spring. Eggs represent life and renewal, and we see them in Easter celebrations as well. And they're also related to um, the goddess Ostara. But if you don't eat eggs, just think about all the plants starting to grow right now. You've got really nutrient-dense leafy greens coming out and dandelions and clover and nettles. You may have some edible flowers like violets popping up and, again, dandelions. So think of ways to incorporate or feature these plants into whatever you're making. If you do bake or cook something specifically for the season, you can always give a portion as an offering to the earth or spirits or fairies to thank them for the season and ask them for support in your own growth. Spring is also a fun time, right? We're moving into the seasons that are f ruled by the sun. They're feisty and light and airy. So one activity that I'm going to do this year, and I'm counting this as a magical activity because it brings awareness and excitement towards noticing the seasonal shift. 
I'm going to make a springo, <laughs> a bingo board for spring. So on my springo, I'm going to have things like spotting the first orange and white daffodil, the trees budding, red bud flowering, magnolia blooms, cherry blossoms, lily of the valley, bleeding hearts, forget-me-nots, and I'm just listing flowers right now, but I'm already so excited about spring um, and to see all of these flowers starting to bud. And I'll have other things as well, like, of course, the um, unexpected spring snow. That'll be on the board. And I'll also have things like um, the spring sunbather, right? You know the person. It might only be 60 degrees out. It might have snowed the day before, but it's sunny out and it feels warmer than it's been all winter. So they're outside in just a bathing suit laying on the grass in the park, just soaking it all in. Spring sunbather. I wish I had your courage. The spring sunbather would happen all the time when I lived in London. On the first sunny day, actually on any sunny and warm day there because it can be so rare, but any outdoor green space would be filled at lunchtime. You might see someone in a suit with their pants pulled up and their socks rolled down and their like button-up shirt, like the sleeves scrunched up. And they'll they just be like basking in the sun like that during lunch. And it always was so funny, but I just love it so much. It's like a clear sign that spring is on the way and everyone is just responding to the sunlight. I'll also put the spring shorts wearer and the spring sandal wearer on the, the springo board. And I actually can already mark this one off because this weekend my husband and I went hiking. It was nice out. It was like 65 maybe and um, it was sunny out, so sunny. Warm for the season, but not super warm. I still had on a jacket and pants and boots, but we passed a lot of people that were wearing shorts and tank tops under like tree cover (laughs) at 65 degrees in September. It would be a completely different story. People would be breaking out their jackets and hats, but 65 in February coming off a cold winter, it's shorts and sandals. You always find someone doing it and they're going on the springo board to be marked off as a sign of this spring season. Another thing I'm going to put on my springo board will be seasonal craft beer releases. So Bach beers and fruity sour beers will be coming in soon if they haven't already, and it's definitely a sign of spring and warmer weather. So I highly encourage you to make your own springo or spring bingo as a fun way to help you notice and connect to the seasonal and social signs of the season anything that you start to look forward to during the spring. Time for the Rituals That Work segment. This week's ritual is one for balance for the spring equinox. This is a tarot or oracle pull, but if you don't have a deck, you can always just meditate on the questions and think about the answers. So to do this, First, you'll want to create a magical space or setting for yourself. So you can do this by lighting a candle or incense or spraying a room spray, maybe play some music, take a few deep breaths or do some breath exercises, whatever you can do to tell your mind that now it's time to do magic. If you call circle the directions or elements, you can do that too. Just set the mood for yourself. This spread is 
three cards for the spring equinox around the theme of balance. For the first card you draw, what energy do I need less of to restore balance in my life? The second card, what energy can I harness to bring more balance into my life? The third card, what message does this spring season have for me? Once you've pulled all of your cards and spent some time interpreting them, create a mantra for yourself. You could do something like, this spring I release, insert message of your first card, I harness, insert message of your second card, through these actions I bring balance. Anything like that, anything you want to come up with, it could be a sentence, it could be four sentences, but recite your mantra while you light a tea light. You can allow your candle to burn completely during this spell, or you can snuff it out and relight it any time during the season to repower your balance spell. And I know I've said that this is my year of balance, so I'm taking this equinox opportunity to really check in and see how I'm doing on that. And obviously this spread relates to balance. Um, it's the theme of the equinox. So if you created a theme or intentions this New Year's, you can still use this spread to and the answers from it to check in with your theme and your personal intentions and see how balance might help you with your own personal theme and intention this year. Welcome to the episode draw segment of the podcast. So this week we're drawing from my cat tarot deck and we'll shuffle and draw a card. We have the Hanged Man. The Hanged Man is number 12 in the tarot deck um, of the Major Arcana. And in this card, it's a cat that is upside down, stuck on some curtains <laughs> on a window. The Hanged Man can really be about looking at your life and seeing where you might feel stuck or you might actually be stuck. Um, in the Rider Waite version of this card, the person who's hanging upside down, tied by his foot, but one leg is crossed over the other one, and his arms are behind his head. And he's actually kind of relaxed looking. He understands that maybe it's a good time to evaluate what's happening, to reflect on what's happening, accept it, um, acknowledge it and to start thinking about ways that you can release yourself or ways that you can get out of it, but it might not necessarily be time to take action yet. So for the next two weeks, think about this message of the hanged man, of hanging tight for now, maybe letting go, accepting what's happening, and thinking of ways that you can release or let go of whatever is holding you back or tying you down. I hope you have a great two weeks, and I will see you next time on the Becoming Witchy podcast. Thank you for listening. Do 
Do you have questions on your Becoming Witchy journey or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast? Send us an email at podcast at bramblebrimstone.com. If you're interested in our newsletter, head over to our show notes where you can find the Bramble and Brimstone Instagram where you can sign up. We would love for you to join our coven community. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please rate and review us. It helps others find the podcast and we so appreciate your support.